So over this, well, over, well, when did we start? It must have been before August, around August. We've been looking at who is God, what is God like, so that we can get to know and understand God a bit more. And, and the thing is, it's so easy for us to make a God of our own understanding. It's easy for people to make God in their own image, rather than the God of the Bible. So it's not. Um, so really, we um, we want to know who the God of the Bible is. It's so important, and names are really important. So as we get to know someone and know their name and know their heart and know what they're like, it's good for us. And so we've been looking at the name of the Lord, Yahweh, and how he has revealed himself or other people have revealed part of the character of God. So we looked at uh, the Lord, Yahweh is my shepherd. That Yahweh is, will provide. That Yahweh is my banner. That Yahweh is the one who sanctifies us, the one who makes us holy. That Yahweh is our peace. That Yahweh is our healer. That Yahweh is there. The God who is there. And today we are looking at um, Yahweh Sikanyu, which is the Lord our righteousness. Yahweh is our righteousness. So let's find uh, the passage of the Bible, what we find that in. So that's Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 5 to 6. So it says this, The days are coming, declares Yahweh, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Yahweh sekane you. The Lord is our righteousness. So, the days are coming, declares the Lord, I will rise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely. Say, reign wisely. And do what is just. Say, just. And right in the land. So, in his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. So, around 600 or so years uh, before the birth of Jesus of Nazareth, God spoke to his people through the prophet Jeremiah. Now, God's people had been divided up into 12 tribes. You had the, um, and then they, they sort of split up. The 10 tribes of Israel formed an independent uh, group in the north. And what were left were two tribes in the south, known as Judah. Now, a hundred years about before uh, Jeremiah is saying what he's saying to the people, um, Israel, the ten northern tribes, have been taken into captivity and never to return. 
And so the two remaining tribes of Judah were, were left. But they didn't learn from the example of their brothers being taken out. And they were a hard-hearted, stiff-necked pe- people. They were heading for a bad fall because of their rebellion against Yahweh. They They trespassed, they crossed the line with God, they twisted and bent God's word. They'd fallen short of what God had wanted. They missed the mark, they missed the glory of God. They were sinning. And you know what? Jeremiah, he loved the people. He is often known as the weeping prophet. He prayed for them and he would weep over them. He'd weep over their bad behaviour, whether it was spiritual, moral, material. In their rebellion against Yahweh uh, and, and in the land, it was full of opp- oppression and violence and there was no repentance. There was a lack of repentance. But Jeremiah would weep and pray and intercede over the people. And much of Jeremiah's messages were messages of Yahweh's judgment on his rebellious people. Though he was careful to point out that their repentance, if they turned from their sin and their wicked ways, if they turned back to Yahweh, if they were sincere in that, the postponement would happen of the inevitable judgment and the consequences. But Judah was stubborn, hard-hearted. They wouldn't turn from their wicked ways. And that sealed their judgment. However, even though it would be a terrible judgment on them, it wouldn't be the last word. There is hope. There is hope. And in this instance, Jeremiah speaks a word of hope, a word of promise, that there will be better days ahead for God's people. God's mercy, God's covenant faithfulness will triumph over his righteous anger. And beyond the judgment would come restoration and renewal. A merciful God, a just and righteous God and a merciful God. Kind God. So, uh, uh, Jeremiah says that um, Israel and Judah would be restored. The nations that crushed them would be crushed themselves. The, the old covenants that God had made with his people would be honoured. Because although God's people may be unfaithful, God is a faithful God. God is faithful. And that God would give um, his covenant people, he'd give them his spirit, he'd write their laws on their their hearts. He's going to do something different in them. The spirit of God will come upon them so that they are enabled to serve their God. Now at this time, um, while Jeremiah is speaking, there are uh, kings The delegated responsibility had been given to these kings, these leaders, who were to be shepherds of the people, of the nation. They were to protect them, look after them, feed them, provide for them, care for them. Because God's people wanted to be like the other nations. They desired a king. And so they got kings. But instead of the kings, on the whole, doing good... 
these leaders basically destroyed and scattered the people. They led them astray and the people followed. So there was bad leadership and bad following. There were some kings that were good, but on the whole, they were kings that were not living in righteousness. And God is saying, I will be your righteousness. So let's think about that word righteousness. So in Hebrew, the word translates as as righteousness means just or righteous. Um, the, the sort of thinking behind it is to be, to be stiff or to be straight. So the underlying idea is one of conforming to a specific um, set of, of standards so that you're in alignment with those standards. So, so people are righteous when their personal and interpersonal behaviour is in alignment with a, an established moral or ethical um, standard, code. Now, in the Old Testament, there was only one standard by which righteousness can be measured, and it was the revealed will of God and expressed in the law. So they knew what they should do. They could line themselves up to that. But also, in the Hebrew thinking, that word righteousness is closely linked with warm personal relationship. A warm personal relationship with God. So those that walk with God, those who've got a relationship with God, are right with God. If you walk with God, you're right with God. So in Hebrew thinking, when someone was said to be righteous, it wasn't suggesting that they were absolutely perfect without sin. It was instead implying that their actions, their behaviours are in harmony or in alignment with their obligation, their duty to their relationship with God. So it's about their relationship with God, walking with God. Are they a righteous person? Now, the Bible often speaks about God as righteous, that he is the righteous God, that his acts, what he does is always in harmony or alignment with who he is, so that God is who he is. So whatever God says about himself, he is. Our God is full of integrity. If he says it on the outside, he's, he's it on the, out, on the inside. So his inside comes outside. So if God says he's righteous, then God is righteous. Imagine a stick of rock. You've gone to the beach, you've gone there, and you've picked your... Who's got a favourite flavour? Come on, join in. Fruit flavour. And you go, excuse me, sir, can I have that fruit? Where have you been? What beach are you at, Sarah? Sarah's at Brighton Beach. Oh, did you go with her, John? Okay. So Sarah's at Brighton Beach. She gets her fruit flavoured rock. She thinks, what a lovely stick of rock. But as John's gone with her, she thinks, I'm going to share this stick of rock. So she snaps it in half. And lo and behold, in the middle of the rock, South End... South End, Brighton, 
That's not right. That's not right, is it? It's not full of integrity. It's not the same on the inside as it is on the outside. God is a God of integrity. He looks for a people of integrity. So God is a righteous God. His acts, what he does, always lines up with who he is. He's in harmony with himself. There is no disharmony in God. So when we say that God is righteous, we mean we can say there's nothing wrong about God. There's no dishonesty, there's no unfairness in him. He is perfect, perfect in all his ways. He is the righteous one. And his righteousness, as the psalmist says, is an everlasting righteousness. And the Hebrew scriptures have two special ways of portraying God as acting righteously. First, God acts righteously in his judgment. God is just and righteous judge who hates wickedness. So when God makes a judgment, his judgment is right. Whether you like it or not, God is right. And part of repentance is saying to ourselves, God is right and I'm not. So if ever there's any conflict between us and God... We are in the wrong. Yeah? And so we need to repent and turn and agree with God and disagree with ourselves. So he's a righteous judge. And second, he's a righteous saviour. So God's rescuing, saving acts to his people throughout history and in Jesus, it's it's seen as in total harmony with Yahweh is our righteousness. So he can judge righteously and he can rescue and save righteously. He can forgive righteously. So to overcome the serious problem of bad leadership and bad following, which had plagued Israel from the very, very beginning, Yahweh promises he's going to raise up a righteous king, One who's going to bring about justice and righteousness in the land. One who's going to be wise. A good one. And so those listening to Jeremiah's prophetic message would have expected the king's name to be something more like Yahweh is righteousness. In contrast to the shepherds, Yahweh is righteous. Those bad kings are unrighteous. But didn't say Yahweh is righteous. He says, Yahweh, our righteousness. Yahweh, our righteousness. Do you you see the difference? Yahweh is righteous. Yahweh is our righteousness. So he's going to be righteous on behalf of his people He's going to be their righteousness and our righteousness. So let me um, illustrate that with with a story. So you remember in 1 Samuel 17... The Philistine forces are there before the the people of God. They've gathered for a battle and a war. And the Philistines have got this giant of a man, Goliath. And Goliath mocks the people of God. And he basically says, look, if you get one of your... uh, chaps to come down here 
and have some fisticuffs with me, then whoever wins, you know, if we win, then we've got dominion over you. But if you win, then you've got dominion over us. And the people of God were quaking in their boots. Goliath was a giant of a man. What are we doing? And it says that David, a young shepherd boy, comes down and he's righteously angry. Who does this bloke think he is arguing against the armies of the living God? So he's got a very different point of view to the situation. Quaking, oh no. And so to cut the story short... David goes down, he faces Goliath on behalf of the people of God and he kills Goliath. And so the Philistines are subject to the people of Israel. And it was all because the people of Israel were so powerful in their battle. They were so skilled in their fighting. It was all because the people of Israel kicked the Philistines' heads in. No. It had nothing to do with the people of Israel. It had everything to do with David. God, through David, rescued the people from their enemy. They didn't do anything. David did it all. They were all right because David made it all right. And so, can you see... That illustration, so that Yahweh, our righteousness, Yahweh is promising a day when Israel will not have a king who is righteous, but a king who is righteous on their behalf. He's promising that a generation of bad, unrighteous kings will be replaced by a good and righteous champion, a leader, a king whose righteousness he will freely give away to his people. And so our righteousness doesn't come from ourselves any more than the army of Israel beat the Philistines themselves. David fought Goliath, not them. They did nothing. David did everything for them. And so the days are coming, back to Jeremiah, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch a righteous branch, something coming forth, a descendant. And in the New Testament, Jesus is, so if if you don't know this, ask Dave Paul here, and he could give you a whole list of scriptures that where Jesus is shown to be the son of David, a righteous branch. So Jesus is the righteous branch. Jesus is God, our righteousness. Jesus is our righteous saviour. Wow, isn't that good and exciting? You don't have to have righteousness of your own, but it's in God. So Jesus is the righteous branch. He's the extension of who God is, the king. Israel, Judah had sinned. They had done wrong. They needed rescuing. They needed a righteousness that was on their own. What about you? Well, the Bible tells us that all, how many? All All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. I have done wrong. I am not righteous. 
I am not right with God in my own strength. I cannot do anything about my sin, about my wrongdoing, about my unrighteousness. I am defeated by an enemy, the enemy of sin and death and Satan. They ruin me. They destroy me. On my own, I cannot do it. I have rebelled against God. I have crossed the line. I have twisted his word. I've bent it out of shape. I've fallen short. I've missed the mark. I haven't reached the glory of God. What a wretched man am I. I'm in a state. I need help. Who's going to help me? Who's going to fight the battle for me? Who's going to defeat Satan and sin and death for me? Who? Who? Jesus. Jesus. He dies our death that we might live. The righteous one dies for the unrighteous ones. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Jesus never sinned. Jesus never fell short of the glory of God. But he took our place. And Paul, when he writes to the Corinthians, says this, God who God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that we, who, might become the righteousness of God. Wow. Wow. Jesus saved us, not because of righteous things we've done, but because of his mercy. God is a God of mercy. Jesus is our righteous one. This is good news. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to deserve it. We don't have to uh, meet a particular law or guideline. We are rescued by Jesus. Galatians 2.16 says this. We know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ. Not by obeying the law. Why not? Because we can't do it. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ. Not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. You know, when I first started hearing about Jesus and Christianity, I thought, oh, I need to be a good boy. How could I possibly go to church or meet with God's people? Because I know what I'm like and I know what I do. And I tried to clean my life up. I remember, probably heard this before, but I tried to stop swearing I went through the whole day at work without swearing. I was so proud of myself. I didn't realise that was a sin as well. And on my way home, someone cut me up and I just went, I won't tell you what I said. And then I suddenly realised, I can't do this on my own. And do you know what? I wasn't meant to. We are meant to come to God just as we are. And then he is our righteousness. He rescues us. He saves us. We can't do it ourselves. We need Jesus. Paul writes to the church at Philippi and he says this, 
not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law of being a good boy and doing the right thing, but that is through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Faith. So Jesus is righteousness. He's in total harmony. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God, three in one. Holy harmony. Jesus in utter harmony and alignment with the Father's will. Remember, not my will be done. Father, your will be done. I want to live with you and for you, for your glory, Jesus. So we, me, we come to Jesus and uh, we recognise our state. We recognise that we need help. And so, apart from Jesus, we are not right. We're not in harmony with God. We're not in harmony with ourselves. We're not in harmony with anyone else. We're just a twisting, worn, torn place, a ball of selfishness. And if I meet someone else who's selfish, it's going to be a bit of a clash. But when we come to Jesus, when our lives by faith are in Jesus, we become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Because our lives are hidden in Jesus. Hallelujah. Right? Our lives are hidden in Jesus. We are right. We're the righteousness of God. This is good news. We are in Christ. It's okay. We're safe. You know, when Noah was told that, you know, we're going to clean every, cleanse everything up, get, get the animals, get the people ready, come, Noah was safe in the ark. The people who weren't in the ark weren't safe. They drowned. Jesus, ark of God, saviour, no other name that's given by which we can be saved or anyone else can be saved. We need Jesus. We need our lives to be hid in Jesus. Then we become the righteousness of God. So it's really good thing to speak over yourself. You know, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Okay. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So we need to make our home in Christ. But there's more to it than that, isn't there? Like, he wants us to be different. He wants us to be in him. Jesus wants us to make our home in him. But... Jesus wants to make his home in us. It's Christ in you. The hope of all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It is Christ in you. The hope of glory. That's Colossians 1.27. Christ in you. So, Sorry, let me. This is a bit of a theological range. So, I'm I'm in Christ, and my life is hidden in Him. But Christ Jesus is in me, and He wants to make His home in me, and He wants me to be at home in Him. And that's 
That's how he wants me to be. And he wants me to live out of who I am in him and then spill out onto the earth. That Jesus comes out of me to other people. Oh, there's things that I need to do, but I thought you said I didn't have to. No, you don't have to earn your salvation. Grace of God, it's a gift. Grace is not a sorry, grace is opposed to earning, but it's not opposed to working. Paul says in Philippians, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Who's our salvation? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Oh, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Okay, now become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Be changed, not by an external law, but by inward power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God so that you can be the person Jesus made you to be, doing the things that Jesus made you to because it's spilling out of you. Jesus said in John 15, remain in me and I will remain in you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. We're all connected like a holy harmony. But if we live like this, we're in trouble. If we don't take Jesus seriously, we're not taking sin seriously. And if we're not taking sin seriously, we're not taking Jesus seriously. We need to be ruthless. Titus says this, Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. For the grace of God has appeared, the grace of God has appeared, that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. We've got to live it well. We should live in this evil world with wisdom. Who's our wisdom? With righteousness. Who's our righteousness? Amen. And devotion to God. While we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. He gave his life to free us from some sin. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin to cleanse us and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds, good works, totally committed. So it's out of what he's done that we work a life on this earth, that we become the people that God made us to be. He makes us righteous so that we can live righteous. So if there are things in our lives that are not in harmony with Yahweh, with our Lord Jesus, then we need to repent, turn from our wicked, foolish, unrighteous ways. 
We don't want to be hard-hearted and stiff-necked, do we? Okay? Delayed obedience is disobedience. When we do what he wants, then that's obedience. When we live with him and for him. So let us be those that work out our salvation with fear and trembling. He says this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And it speaks about that being a mystery. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles, the non-Jews, the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. There's a mystery and what that word mystery means is it says something hidden in the past but now revealed. And the Christian life is like that. Something hidden in the past that is now revealed. That as we journey with God, as we walk with God, we will have those moments that make us go, oh, I never got that. I've never seen that before. It's a mystery. It's something that was hidden from us in the past, but now it's revealed. That's why I often pray for fresh revelation. I want to know God. I want to know Christ. I want to be found in him. I want to live for him. But I don't get it all yet. I don't know it all yet. I don't think I'll ever know it all. And what I do know, I don't know. It's a mystery. But when we get God bringing revelation to us and we walk in that wisdom and that righteousness, all heaven breaks loose. Because when there is spiritual insight and understanding, it leads to a growth spurt. That we become more the person who we already are in Christ. Our growing up is to grow up to become the person that we already are in Christ. He wants us to grow up. He wants us to change. He wants us to grow. And so, um, I'm going I'm to not do that bit. So he wants us to be empowered by the Spirit and live for him, by him. Not in our own strength, not in our own righteousness, that we rely on the Lord who is our righteousness. That means we don't have to get puffed up with pride when we do something good. Because it's not about us, it's about him. It's not about my glory, my fame. It's about his glory, his fame. It's not about me, it's not about you. It's all about him. We are the body of Christ. Church is Jesus' idea. It's the right way that he wants us to live. In godly community in godly community so how do we live righteously we live righteously in godly community a godly community yes that gets scattered but you're part of something bigger than yourself not just here but bigger than yourself church worldwide that is the hands and feet of jesus that is the body of christ church is really important The gathered community of saints is really important. 
doing life well with brothers and sisters, loving one another, supporting one another, forgiving one another. It shapes and hones us. The New Testament knows nothing of, of solitary um, Christianity. Okay? It might be that you're imprisoned for a while in forced isolation, but not isolation yourself away from the people of God. We need to run to the people of God, be with the people of God. Then it will help us to be righteous because what we can do is help one another grow. We can knock the edges off one another. We can help one another grow in their gifts. Like I'm always happy to help anyone who wants to experiment with the gift of hospitality. I'm, I'm there for you. My brother and sister, heartfelt, I'm there for you. Do you know what I mean? We, we call out and we walk alongside and we help one another grow. That is why um, being in Christ, being at home with Christ, see, the church is his body. See, when the church is persecuted, it's not the church being persecuted. It's Jesus being persecuted. When Jesus met with, the, with Saul on the road to Damascus, he didn't say, why are you persecuting my people? Why are you persecuting the church? He said, why are you persecuting me? See, Jesus takes church very personally because we are his body and we need to be knitted together and grow together. And so we need to help one another. And then, other thing about working out our righteousness, we need to live in godly community and not isolate ourselves, but we do need to withdraw as well and be in the secret place, to be alone with God, to know him, to be still and know that he is God, to know he's our righteousness. So we need to journey. I'm in Christ. Christ is in me. I'm at home in him. He's at home in me. We're at home with one another. And we become the people he's made us to be. And God's ultimate aim is the restoration of not just the church, but of all his creation. A new heaven and a new earth. And he says, that's what's right. So may we remember that God is our righteousness. And we... In him are called to be the righteousness of God. So we need to live righteously. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your death, for your resurrection, that you substituted yourself for us. And so now help us to be the substitute for you. As we walk and talk on this earth, help us to remember that we are your representatives, that we are your ambassadors, that in you, through strength in you, through your righteousness making us righteous, we are the righteousness of God for your glory, for your purposes. So Lord, help us to live lives more and more in harmony with you, who you are. May we be a people that live in integrity for your name's sake. Amen. Amen.